welcome to Be Simply. This is she, and I want to thank you for being here in this moment. Today we have Betsy Ray. She is joining us. She's a diabetes activist, and she's going to dive a little deeper into the talk that she presented at TEDx Vale. She's going to share her life experience and help educate others with the intent to help save lives and inspire you to get involved. Without further ado, let's dive in with Betsy. Betsy, I want to thank you for being here today. I'm really excited for you to share something that's so near and dear to your heart that that can be of great service for you to share that knowledge with others. For you, how diabetes met you and how it's impacted your life uh, and the things that maybe you wish your parents would have known. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish that my parents would have known more. And, you know, the, the sad part of that is that 52 years later, I'm still wishing the same thing. Mm. Um, for, for all, my, my mom has, and, and my family has a history on my mom's side of type 2 diabetes. And they had some knowledge of that, but truthfully, people don't really share their health uh, profiles with even family members so much and as a result people don't understand diabetes and and between that and the way that diabetes has been publicized through the media through medical providers you know and just our cultural in general our culture in general um, it's become a real issue because people don't understand either the symptoms of diabetes or what diabetes really is. And mo the, the vast majority of people view diabetes as a lifestyle problem and a behavior problem and a choice rather than the serious illness that it is. So, right. you know, I, I wish that, you know, my wish for people is that they understand more, that they learn more, and that they understand enough, in particular, when they have children so that they can be real legitimate first responders because they are. If you can share a little bit about what a parent might look for because having a young child can be very disorienting in the sense that if something goes wrong, you're not sure where to go with certain things and you might nowadays with the internet might try to self-diagnose your child and might wait. Um, and if you can share some of those signs that maybe a parent might pay attention to early on. A good place for parents to go, and I can recommend a website, would be testonedrop.org. Uh, that's, that's a site that belongs to my partner. She's in Georgia. But, but I can give you a basic rundown of the, the symptoms, you know, here so that people know. Um, if your child starts to seem like they're getting sick, and most parents, when they go to the doctor's office or to the emergency room, typically the biggest thing that they state is that they feel like their kids have got the flu or a virus. And um, the actual symptoms that go along with diabetes look very much like common childhood illnesses. Um, the thing that can differentiate it is that as it progresses to more severe stages, kids will, will show things like excessive thirst, 
Um, they might be craving sugary drinks more than water, but, but thirst is the most common. Uh, they can start bedwetting even if they've already been potty trained and, and or frequent urination. Um, they, they can have increased appetite or decreased appetite, sugar cravings, abdominal pain, irritability. Um, they can be grumpy or they can have mood changes. Um, in my own case, I suffered from really severe headaches. They can have vision problems. Um, they, can, they can present with a secondary infection of candida or yeast, either in their mouth or on their skin. Um, they can start losing weight. Weight loss is a real big indicator that they've gone into a more serious phase of diabetes. They can have flushed skin, nausea and vomiting, um, fruity breath. Sometimes it'll smell like nail polish remover. Um, they can be very drowsy and lethargic. Um, they can have problems with breathing. Um, typically when they get into the later stages of, of the acute phase before diagnosis, their breathing can be very rapid. It can be deep because they're trying to expel carbon dioxide, which is a toxic byproduct of high blood sugars. Um, they can have mental confusion, stupor, and if they go unconscious, you know, that's, it, it's bad. But all of those symptoms are real red flags that parents need to demand the test for type 1 diabetes to rule it out, even if they think it's something else. Because what's happening right now is that we've got, I work with several families who have lost their children because we've got doctors who, who have been trained not to see children as, as candidates for diabetes. So the problem is that they're taking their kids into the doctor's offices and the ERs and they're being sent back home and they're getting sicker and then they're going back to the ERs and they're doing the test and by the time the parents are getting their children into the, the, the emergency care facilities, they're already going into comas and many of them are dying and those that don't are suffering pretty severe damage. Um, neurological damage, physical organ damage, you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty bad stuff. Mm. And parents can be the very first responders in ensuring that when they go into those, those visits at point of entry, whether it is a pediatric office, a primary care office, or an emergency room, that they're demanding that they do a finger stick for type 1 diabetes. It doesn't have to be in your family. It doesn't have to be something that, you know, th this is an illness that is so unpredictable in terms of who actually expresses it. You know, we understand that there has to be a gene. If you don't have the gene for it, you don't get diabetes. But from that point forward, it's 50-50. And what is triggering that gene is still pretty unknown in terms of 
medicine. There are a lot of hypotheses, but not really any empirical data or, or conclusive proof of any specific causative factor. And it could be many factors for, for different people, but, but predominantly environmental. So, so the hard part is that if they've got the gene and that gene gets triggered, then, then it starts that process of the immune system attacking the beta cells in their pancreas and they can no longer access insulin. That's an ongoing lifetime attack. Without insulin, we can't get energy to the cells. And without energy to the cells, we die. Right. And, and so, you know, if parents have the ability to be that first responder, they can't prevent the diagnosis, but they may actually be so empowered as to prevent the catastrophic fallout from the time that it takes between recognizing that they're sick and getting them the diagnosis and getting them on medication. That's huge. Absolutely. And can you share from the time, you know, as for you as a child and now as an an adult, what has changed uh, in medicine uh, as far as how they are diagnosing, how they're the type of medications available, other options to support the condition or more a deeper understanding of the genetics and condition that surrounds us? Sure. Um, so we have a couple of problems. In the diabetes environment, in the last couple of years, the FDA approved a specific test called the hemoglobin A1C for the purpose of diagnosing diabetes. There are a lot of doctors out there that still are not aware that that has been approved as a diagnostic test. And the problem with the A1C is that unless they have a multi-thousand-dollar machine that will actually read out in about 60 seconds that result, it goes into a lab and it takes time. We also have a test. Um, which is a simple blood glucose test that requires a, a finger stick. You know, and when I was growing up, they used to do finger sticks on us for vitamin B deficiency. And so it was part of our well-patient visits to the doctor's office. We always got finger sticks. Well, now, those of us with diabetes, we do that multiple times a day to, to manage and monitor our blood sugar levels. And they can use that same test to actually get a read on what that baby's or child's blood sugar is at that moment. And it's, it's 45 seconds, one drop of blood, and the strip costs $1. And I can't imagine a parent who wouldn't take that dollar out of their pocket and give it to the doctor's office or the relief of knowing one way or the other whether their child is in trouble. Mm-hmm. Now, it, that finger stick is not conclusive because if you have a child like my own daughter who is diagnosed with diabetes and they are in what is referred to as a honeymoon phase where their pancreas is working intermittently but it's on its way down, they can test normal one half of the day, but then test abnormal the second half of the day. 
So, you know, it's really important to pay attention and to watch what's happening, but that finger stick in the vast majority of cases would capture early diagnosis. And the problem that we have is that at one point many years back, the AMA established policies that stated that the doctors could not use it to test for diagnosis. Mm. So the doctors who are doing it, and God love them, there are many, <laughs> they are going against their AMA guidelines and, you know, risking sanctioning to be able to take care of their patients. And we, we appreciate everything that they do. But we want to bring the level of awareness of this to a much broader audience of both doctors and parents because we want to catch these kids before the damage is done. And we're working to try to change those policies. But in the meantime, the best thing that we can do, and quite frankly, even if those policies are changed, the best thing we can do is to teach parents how to see diabetes and understand diabetes and and then teach the general public about diabetes because there is a very specific reason why this is happening. Mm. And it's not just AMA policy. It's stigma surrounding diabetes. And that stigma is cascading. And as it goes down through the trickle down of what happens with that, at the bottom of that cascade, we have children dying. Can you share then why haven't, you know, when you have an infant uh, being that this is, something that's genetically potentially or genetically passed down that part of a baby's well checkups is not is to uh, make sh- to determine you know what's going on with the, the system just to rule it out or to flag it as this is a potential that might come up although the test is there to be able to test for the specific gene and, and really it's an amino acid on the Um, DNA chain of the person that might get diabetes, they don't do that test on everyone. And the, the problem is that parents aren't being educated. And, and so, you know, how do we work with our pediatrics and how do we work with our nurses and our intake people that are in the clinics, right? Because the minute you have a child that is displaying what appears to be just regular illness symptoms, they should be red flagging them for a finger stick. And it's not happening. And, and the hard part is that, you know, the little girl that, that I took to the TED Talk with me, I had originally six families that I wanted to present in that talk and because of time constraints and criteria I was I was given one as an example and I and and I couldn't tell her whole story she was five and her dad is a doctor and he treats people with diabetes every day and they didn't know the symptoms when they got her to the the first doctor's appointment the doctor is also her pastor at church so the family had a personal relationship with him and she was sent back home on antibiotics, and she didn't get better. And then they took her to ER, and they changed her diagnosis to diabetes. 
And by the time they got to that point, she was already flipping into coma. And they life-flighted her to Salt Lake City from the city that she lived in. And instead of taking her an hour and a half to the closest qualified facility, they flew her four and a half hours away because of contractual agreements between the facilities in a condition where time is critical. And the responders that flew her left behind the kit when they put her on the plane, they left behind the kit to treat brain hemorrhage. Mm. And by the time they got her to Children's Hospital in Salt Lake, she suffered profound neurological damage. And she passed away six months later. And it was all preventable, all of it. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, the hard part is that our, our doctors are not being trained. What little training they're getting in, in regards to diabetes is really insignificant compared to the magnitude of the disease. And I will say this across the board for any type of diabetes because I work with all of them. They all have genetic components. None of them is to be taken lightly. They're all serious illnesses. And none of them was a choice of the person who has them. So there's this huge misconception out there about diabetes that if you just pay attention to what goes in your mouth and run around the block 20 times, you can beat it. And that is absolutely untrue. There are people who can manage it in a more um, proactive way when it comes to throwing it into, I will call it, remission. But that remission only holds as long as they maintain the protocol, and it's no different than it is for those of us with type 1 diabetes. We have to take insulin in order to stay alive, but we still have to do those things. And so, you know, the hard part is that when you have a little child who comes into a pediatric office or a clinic or an ER, and, and they're small, and they're not overweight, and they're not middle-aged, and they don't obviously have an exercise problem um, or a weight problem, you know, the, the doctors are inclined to not see what might be there. And then, and then what's happening that's making that a, a perfect storm is that they're not applying differential diagnosis to rule it out. Mm. So any child that comes in that's ill should be getting a finger stick because it's the most valuable tool that we have in type 1 diabetes to try to, to mitigate the damage, and that damage is lifetime. Mm. So anything that they suffer at their diagnosis, they will carry as permanent lifetime handicap. Wow. And, you know, if, if we can step in to do that as, as, you know, ordinary people, we have a lot of power to be able to save our children, you know. We can save them suffering, and we can save them death. And, and so, you know, it's up to us to use the tools that we have for communication in this amazing communication age to become informed as a community of parents. You know, even my own daughter, when she was diagnosed, um, she was misdiagnosed in spite of the fact that we already knew that it could be a possibility. And, and that had more to do with the policies that are in place rather than right. 
my questioning that at her admittance to the hospital. And so, you know, it's so we're trying to work from all ends to try to fix the problem. So if you can share with us just what you would recommend for new parents to do to to just be proactive and maybe what they should consider, you know, family history, all those different steps that you would do no matter what. Well, I would say, number one, if you have a family history, then obviously you, you have to be on guard regarding this. I'm the first person in my family with type 1 diabetes. Mm. My daughter is the second. Realistically, you, you, ha- you cannot say that that is the factor. You have to look at it like the symptoms are primary. Those are imperative. You may not have a history of diabetes at all in your family, but if your child is showing these symptoms, then it's important to get the test. And you may, you, you, you never should walk away feeling like a fool if the test shows normal. You just pay attention and make sure that your child continues to do all right because it's better safe than sorry. On top of the changes that we're trying to make, that we start to drive the, the impetus towards parents demanding the test because if they start to demand the test, then policies will change. You know, and, and it's important for that to be at every parent's disposal because to rule it out as, as a viable option, as an important option, is really foolish. You know, and I work with so many families who have lost children, I can't begin to tell you how heartbreaking it is to see two-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, nine-year-olds, 13-year-olds who have all the potential in the world ahead of them, and we've lost them. The, the big thing here is that parents gain an understanding of diabetes. You know, to that end, forewarned is forearmed. Can you share so people can access more of the resources that you've established where your website is? And also you mentioned you had a couple of Facebook pages. Um, I do. My website is www.diabetesactivist.com. Um, I have my Facebook pages are Diabetes Activist Facebook and Betsy Ray Facebook. And also, if you're interested in diabetes symptoms and DKA symptoms, um, a good website for that is testonedrop.org. That's my partner in Georgia. I think give a shout-out to the doctors as a call to action. What would it be? Um, I think that if I were to give a call to action, that it's important to rule out type 1 diabetes in any child that presents with illness. And it's important to work in closer collaboration with the people who have diabetes you to get on board with us. We, we're, we're working to save lives, all of us, and we can do it together. Well, Betsy, I want to thank you for being, one, courageous and having the tenacity to keep sharing and spreading the word and then being there for so many people that have had to 
go through such difficult life circumstances, especially those who have lost their children. Thank you, and, and I'm honored to be here. Thanks, Suzanne. Thank you so much, Betsy. Once again, I want to thank Betsy for taking the time to share her wisdom with us today. Doctors and parents, please take action. And I'd also like to thank TEDxVale for spreading great ideas and inspiring others into action. Until next time, this is she signing out with a full heart, a soft gaze, a deep bow, and a namaste. Be simply 